Well, as the preaching team gets ready to uh, launch a new sermon series next week, I'm really excited, but I am kind of nervous because we're going to cover not one, not two, not three, but four books of the Bible. And they all have something huge in common. These books rarely get attention from the pulpit. They are very poetic, so they can be hard to understand. And they are not very long, so they can be very easy to ignore. Even more, they speak to areas of life that some churches consider completely off limits. I doubt you've heard many, if any, sermons on these books. So the preaching team wants to preach these books. We not only want to preach them, we are already hard at work to do it well, preparing. In fact, I am confident that these sermons will be among the best you will hear from our preachers. And here's why. Not simply because I trust them, although I do, but because I trust the Lord and His generosity toward people who entrust the more sensitive areas of their lives to Him. Our journey through these books, I think, is going to be actually pretty difficult in spots, but I think it's going to be worth it because it will leave you with a deeper love for the gospel. And I will tell you the name of these four books at the end of the sermon. (laughs) That was not simply a commercial. That was actually the intro to my sermon, because this is a sermon about sermons. Specifically, this is a sermon about how to listen to a sermon. Here's why that's so important. The more nuanced the subject matter, especially when it comes to God's Word, the more we all need to be dialed in. But the more nuanced it is, the easier it can be to be checked out. Beyond that, some of you are new to this church, and some of you are new to Christianity, and the rest of you are veterans, for lack of a better term, of the church. So we all can have something in common, even in spite of those great differences. We can all fall into the habit of listening to sermons incorrectly. Honestly, there's not simply one reason for it, and it often starts long before church. I want you to picture this with me. Maybe it's not such a hard picture for you to draw up. I want you to imagine that you've arrived here exhausted from Saturday night or a busy week or a nine overtime disappointing football game. You haven't slept. If you have kids, maybe that's why you haven't slept because they haven't. That's my reason today. Maybe you come in carrying the heavy load of yesterday's guilt and tomorrow's anxiety. And uh, maybe you just meander in and you are unlike the others. You just kind of meander in. Nothing's too crazy in your life, but you kind of just hope the preacher is going to feed you. Maybe that's how you're coming in. And the sermon comes and the sermon goes, and whether it's a blur or a slog... Here's the payoff. There is none. It never really sticks. 
And uh, by the following Sunday, you might not even remember it. Has this ever happened to you? Is it happening now? (laughs) We all have stories to tell when it comes to listening to sermons and how bad it can go. And maybe this is all sermons have ever been for you. Maybe like Reese, you just kind of had to go and put in your hours and it went in one ear and out the other. Friends, while this is both an understandable season in some cases and certainly not an easy fix in every case, this is something that we cannot get comfortable with. So this morning, I'm going to talk about two things that you must do when you listen to a sermon. Number one, prepare to receive it. And number two, prepare to respond to it. And I'll do that by examining two congregations in the Bible, both from the book of Acts. Let's look at the first one and talk about what receiving the word looked like for them, and then I'll offer a few ideas about what it could look like for us. So our first congregation is the first church in the book of Acts. These are the 3,000 people who became Christians on the day of Pentecost after a sermon by the Apostle Peter. And I'll read the summary of this in in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Here we are. So those who received his words were baptized, and and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here's the key words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what did life look like for these 3,000 people as new believers. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to be fair, they devote themselves to a number of other good things right after that, and even in the verses to follow. And those things played out according to what was appropriate for those people at that time. So let's look at the teaching part here for today's sake devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to devote yourself to something? If you consider the word, it means you think something is really important and you act like it's really important. If you devote yourself to your spouse, (laughs) you think your spouse is really important and you act accordingly. If you devote yourself to your job or your kids, same deal, or your studies, Let's just look at that. Um, now, now that we know what devote, devotion means, what does it mean by the apostles' teaching? Well, what just happened to prompt those 3,000 conversions? How did they actually get into this scenario? Well, Peter, the apostle, taught. <laughs> That's how they got here. Now, um, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up what he actually taught. The gospel message, he taught how God's story in the Old Testament points to Jesus and how everybody has a need to receive forgiveness and life and a new mission all from him. This was what the apostles taught. And they did it so well that thousands of years later it hit Reese. It's the same message. That was what the apostles taught and the church grew around this teaching by holding that central. 
And as it grew, the apostles planted churches and they put men in leadership positions to teach the same thing. That same teaching. The same that got them there was the same that they were called to keep. An example of this is the apostle Paul. And he wrote later to one such church that was slipping away from this teaching. Here's what he said to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. This is him writing to the Corinthian church. And he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, And what happens here, guys, is that he has implored the Corinthian church to be devoted, to redevote themselves to the same teaching that he was taught to be devoted to. In fact, it's his devotion that's causing him to call them. That's the teaching the apostles are devoted to and what they want God's people to be devoted to. So how does that apply to us? What does that mean for us? Can we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? I don't see any of the apostles here. They're all dead. Can we do that? None of them are here, right? Or are they? (laughs) Pick up your Bible. They're right there. You have the teaching of the apostles, and you have more. All right in your Bible. And because of that, here's what I think that means for us. To be devoted to the Bible and to those who rightly teach the Bible. That's what devotion looks like for the modern Christian. Hold fast to what the Bible teaches of first importance. And I just said what that was. To think of it as really important and to act accordingly. So how might that play out for us in a church, during a sermon. Well, we are called to devote ourselves to receiving it, to receive the teaching. I mean, this is God speaking to you. That's what happens when the preacher rightly transfers what is in the Bible and aims it at you. That's what's happening. So here are then just a few suggestions of what devoting yourself to receiving that could look like. These are just some ideas as I sat and I considered the things of our culture that might compete for your devotion when it comes to receiving a sermon. First way you can devote yourself. Devote yourself by being awake. Like 100% of you are like, check. (laughs) Right? It's not all what I mean. I don't just mean don't fall asleep. I mean devote yourself to be rested and ready to receive the sermon. Because in our culture, we are a busy culture. And it's easy to just treat a sermon as just another thing, isn't it? This can be hard for at least two reasons, devoting yourself to being awake. Number one, some of you just don't like resting. Maybe you're always making plans or you 
can't say no to people, or maybe it's less about people, and you just like being entertained, and you're just kind of always taking in stuff, and your brain's just exhausted by the time you get here. In both cases, Saturday is often full, and by Sunday coming, you're probably already thinking about Sunday night or Monday. For you, devoting yourself to, re- to receiving the sermon might mean this. Getting out your schedule, or making one, <laughs> and saying, I have to say no to bad things, or lesser things, and even to some pretty good things, so that I can devote myself to the best thing. The teaching of God's word from a teacher who loves me and wants me to know God and what he says. So that's what devotion might look like for some of us. For others of us, it's not that we don't want to rest, we just can't seem to get it. You know, picture that exhausted person I described in my introduction. Sleep is a dream that you have given up on. Anybody relate to that? For some of you, as I mentioned, your children keep you up. Others of you have legitimate health issues and it just makes sleep hard. I get that. I get that. And you know, in earlier drafts of this sermon, I thought, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. This is the word of God. And that's that's true to a fault. You know, we should just keep pressing in. But, um, because devotion is still the aim, but As I think about, especially some of us, if you're in certain seasons, with particularly young or hard to rest children, or it's just a season where you've, you've said no to all the right things and life's just still exhausting. You know? When the circumstances are just less controllable, devotion just looks different. And that's okay. What it means is what God has given you, you offer back to God. If you feel like a little puddle, you give him that puddle. Does that make sense? Maybe it means you listen to the sermon audio later because you tried, but you had to get in and out with a newborn or toddler. Or maybe you miss a few weeks because you're stuck with third shift and it's that or you can't pay rent. I get that. Some seasons are just hard. So devote your ailing or broken body and don't give up. And ask for help. Friends, this is God's word. Let us all work together to sit under it and not sleep through it. So second application, I've got three, that was the longer one. Devote yourself by being prepared. Have you ever come in unprepared and found yourself quickly lost? What chapter are we in? What book? The New Testament, where's that? (laughs) 
Have you ever done that? Now, I admit, it's not always you. The preacher could be partly to blame. Maybe they're a bit disorganized that week. Maybe they didn't sleep. (laughs) But um, have you prepared yourself at all to receive it? Have you? Have you read and studied the scripture in advance? Beyond study, have you prayed to receive the sermon? I've learned from my own experience as a preacher, if the text has not moved me personally, I will probably not help you receive it well either. So I get that. Third application is devote yourself to receiving the sermon by being attentive. This is less about your physical state of rest. It could take a lot of forms, but the form that I thought about picking here is the danger of preference. Because this is unique to our church, let me address a potential elephant in the room. Do you have a favorite preacher here? (laughs) Oops. I say that because we have a lot of different preachers here. And they all have a different approach. Do you find yourself zoning out if it's not the approach that you like? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you're, it's all right that you, maybe you like it delivered a certain way. And to be honest, there's times where I also wish it were Tom Hallman up here instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> but really... Can I bring it in here by calling you to remember something? Our preaching team is a team. All of us, by God's grace, seek to preach the same gospel. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church this very same thing in that very same letter when they played favorites. They did it then, can still do it now. So please challenge yourself to listen carefully, even if it takes a bit of extra work. Remember, they're working hard to try to get it into your head, even though you're different. <laughs> Let me sum it up and just kind of push this thing forward. When you fail to devote yourself to receiving a sermon, that is bad. It hurts you. It really does. Week in, week out, go through a whole sermon series and just don't really get much. That hurts you. But it does far more damage than that. It hurts everybody. And without devoted preparation, we can easily become consumers who park our cars out there and walk in here and sit down and say, feed me. Because I put my money in that box. Sounds like a restaurant, doesn't it? Can I suggest that listening to a sermon is less like going to a restaurant and more like going to a cooking class? I say that because your reception is not merely what matters. In fact, I would actually say your response almost matters more. Can I show you that right in the Bible? (laughs) Let's read about our second congregation in Acts chapter 17, verses verses, uh, 10 and 11. Time has passed. Now Paul, who's become a Christian and 
He's gone with his friend Silas. Here's where we're at. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, key words here, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. Okay, I hope I said that loud enough for you to pick up real easily what I was kind of aiming at here. The response of the people, in verse 10 we get the context, it's a synagogue, it's a large group of people, they're coming together to learn, and here in 11 they receive the word, and what follows that is they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so or true. So what does this examination look like? What did it look like for them then? Well, the scene is similar to Acts 2. The printing press was not invented between that church and this one. These people had no Bibles. Um, Friends, the examination of the scriptures meant getting up meeting together at the synagogue, crowding around the scroll, and the teacher teaches, and the people respond. In fact, you would probably expect questions, interruptions, especially from the younger people, pushback, group chatter, all in one eager direction. Does the scripture really say that? Friends, if you've been to a good Bible study or you come to small groups, you know the best ones aren't one person doing all the talking. It's people examining the Bible together, coming to agreement, talking to each other in eager, continual examination all around a goal of biblical unity. Does the scripture say that's true? Eagerly? Because if it does, we are going to (laughs) change. Friends, teaching was a community event. The people worked alongside the preacher and alongside one another, and it continued well after the formal service. There wasn't a lot of individualism when it came to the fundamental truth of the gospel. And I don't think that should change. And I think, sadly, in a lot of churches, it has. Preacher gets up and he says stuff and you ask people afterwards, they just nod their head and say, I do what preacher says. So what could that mean for us now? Well, preaching is still a community event. Please don't think I'm preaching some new idea here. That already happens at this church. I'm going to show you. First, actually think, I'm going to show you a little peek behind the uh, preaching team curtain. 
The preachers here really like to engage with you, so I'd like to show you how we prepare to do that for each and every sermon. Story time. When I joined the preaching team, here's what I figured would happen. I figured these guys probably do what a lot of the preachers I grew up listening to did. They probably work really hard during the week on a bunch of other pastoral stuff and then exhausted on Saturday night or maybe even Sunday morning, they whip up a new sermon or they pull the old one out of the drawer. You might have grown up in a church like that. And some weeks you might have to do that. Let's be fair. But the preachers here do not do that. Here is what they do. Two to three weeks out from sermon day, the preacher studies the passage and they fill out this massive worksheet that we work together to put out in this prompts them to identify the the clear structure of the passage. How did the author break it down? The context of the passages around it to make sure we're not just getting up on some soapbox issue. And the context of the whole book. In short, are these things really so? (laughs) The things we're about to say? And then this and more pushes them to a one-sentence main point along with the aim for the original audience and appropriate applications for us. And for the most experienced preachers here, this usually takes at least two to four hours. For most of us, four to eight hours. For the new guys, double digits. And at this point, usually not one line of the actual sermon script has been written. Except that main point which you're going to hold on to. Then, about a week and a half before we preach, we send our conclusions to the rest of the team and they provide encouraging and honest and sometimes frank feedback. Are these things true? Are they? Because we're about to get up and tell people what God said. It's a big deal. I actually think we would probably spend more time on these things. Now we've used this process with the worksheets and all that since 2015. And I think I've gotten a green light on my worksheet with no suggestions for improvement maybe five times. Maybe. And after this feedback loop, I'm not even to Sunday morning yet. After this feedback loop, the preacher makes adjustments and writes up a script or a working outline to preach from. And then the Wednesday before the sermon, the preacher meets with the team and practices the whole thing. More feedback. More revisions. Finally, the preacher gets up on Sunday morning and delivers the sermon. It is exhausting just saying all that. (laughs) And here's the point. 
Here's really what I'm saying here. At this church, sermon preparation is not an island for one preacher to live on. It is a community event for a team of preachers. Because we really want to make sure we get it right. And left alone, we can go off the rails. That can just happen. Together we examine and we respond to the text to see if the things that we are about to say are indeed true. And in that, here's one possible application for you. Engage with us. Because you are a part of the community too. Sermons are a community event. And if a preacher here is on the mark, don't just high five him and tell him great job. Well, you can do that. That's fine. But more than that, you know, tell them how it encouraged you or how it challenged you. But if they miss the point, like the Corinthian church, we want you to speak up like Paul did. Because if we are not delivering to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, you need to tell us. Now, maybe that's not what you're used to. It's not what I'm used to. Maybe you're hesitant or you just kind of nod your head by default. If so, remember point one. Receiving the sermon well, growing in that area, will help you respond well. Read and study that book and pray through it. Maybe the preacher's preaching and everything's going great and what you're seeing and what he's seeing and what the text is saying, it's all on the same page. Maybe not. If it's not, speak up. So that'll help you. Receiving the sermon will help you respond well. And there's another help for you. As the preachers here engage with one another and with you, so should you eagerly engage with one another. That's your second application. Engage with one another. And I think to be fair, many do this really well. So I'll simply offer a few short ideas. Be part of small groups after the service if you've never joined one. Try it. If you're still in Sunday school, if you're in Sunday school this week, don't do that. Go teach the kids, please. Thank you. (laughs) Or talk with your family or a friend group over lunch or on the car ride home. Hey, did you get the main point? I think think it's this. Does Does that make sense to you? Did you see that here? I didn't quite see it. Could you help me get that? I was trying to catch the preacher, but he was talking to somebody else. Could we figure it out? Well, you know, that second question, man, that really is challenging. I don't know if I can do that. Can you? Can we talk about that? Can I tell you what I want to try? It just looks like that. Or read over the questions at the bottom of your sermon outline and re-examine the scriptures. Ask somebody if you can process with them. Are these things 
really true. That is what community looks like, and we are a community. People gathered around God's word. That will help you now. And I hope, friends, this helps you as you prepare for our next sermon series. Okay, fine, I'll tell you. (laughs) Uh, We're going to put it up there in a second. In fact, I'll try to stall for a minute. Um, I'm actually going to throw up the, the four books here, and I'll actually throw in the official graphic, if we can get it going. Is up there yet? No. I'll start telling you about it. The new sermon series is called Life, Love, and Lament. And we're actually going to be walking through four short poetic books of the Old Testament. There it is, Life, Love, Lament. We're going to be walking through Obadiah and Song of Solomon, Lamentations, and Habakkuk. Again, I bet most of you have heard few, if any, sermons on these books. This series might just prompt a lot of engagement. This series is going to speak to complex topics like marriage and the pursuit of marriage and honest lament as God's people wrestle with the difficult state of the world, and it seems like God is a bit far off. What did Reese say, reading the Psalms? God, wake up. We're going to read about stuff like that and really answer some hard questions. And I am excited. It will be challenging, and it will be worth it. So I encourage you, don't be afraid of that engagement in light of what I just told you. I would instead tell you, be far more afraid of trying to live life apart from community. So as you examine the scriptures, please do it eagerly. Receive and respond to God's word with the preaching team and with one another. One note I'm going to add, can't help it because the gospel is in a manner of speaking, offensive enough, and a good teacher is wise to not add unnecessary offense, some of those books we're going to be preaching through, especially your eyes might have been drawn to the Song of Solomon, (laughs) will involve at times frank discussion on topics like marriage and relationships. But in all cases, the preaching teams already started talking about it and already started reading through it, We have promised to present God's word in a way that is true to the main point of the text, but is not unhelpfully graphic. Most of all, we promise to show you clear gospel hope because it not only is of first importance, it is present even, I might add, especially in poetic books that don't often get the spotlight. In short, we want to show you Jesus in every page of your Bible. So we are excited to engage with you and we would ask you, engage with us and engage with each other. Please read, please study, please pray through, if you can, all four books this week. It's 17 chapters. It's shorter than the book of Acts. You can do it all in one afternoon. But... If you have kids, again, don't want to be hard on you. (laughs) 
If even two chapters a day, which if you did that, you'd pretty much make it through. If even two chapters a day is too much for you this week, just take a dent out of it. Or just read and pray through Obadiah. It's one chapter. I couldn't sleep last night. I had anxiety. So, I read Obadiah. I read it. Four in the morning. Obadiah. And I prayed for the sermon series. And do you know what I learned reading Obadiah? Sorry, I'm going to spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's what I learned. A lot of my present anxiety is because I put my hope in the state of this country rather than remembering that the Lord's kingdom is the one that's going to stand. I read one chapter and it changed how I viewed everything. Right there. As John Bunyan once said, read and pray, pray and read, for a little from God is better than a great deal from people. Church, I am excited and I'm a little less nervous. And I hope that this has helped you to prepare and receive and respond to God's word. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your spirit that works in people to help them look at the Bible and to understand what it means. To take the mind of God and to package it in such a way that even a child could understand it is unbelievable. And yet, for those who trust in you, you have promised and you have taken away the veil from their eyes and they can read your word and they can understand it and believe it and love the God who wrote it. And God, that is amazing. And Lord, I thank you for teachers. I thank you for our preaching team who works very hard to understand the nuances, the types, the historical, the historical details that can inform and help us from sliding off one side or the other or misapplying the text or prescribing where the, where the Bible describes or describing where the Bible prescribes. Lord, you are good. You give us your spirit to help us understand. You give us one another to help us clarify. You give us the whole body working together to understand what you say to people. And God, as we fall short, and we will, and we have, would you help us to lean on that very same gospel of first importance? That's the same gospel that got us here, and it will preserve us to the end. Amen.